Happy MLK Day. Happy off day. Hope you slept in and you're listening to us at like 10, 1030 instead of on your morning commute at 730 or 8. And, uh, you know, we're going to have a Tuesday episode for you to do that. But enjoy this one. Put it on your Bluetooth speaker. R&R, PJs, feet up, Jack, Arum, just baseball show on Monday, January 16th. Before I ask you how you are, blind resume time. You ready? Okay. I've got three guys. I've got... Age, contract, OPS, home runs, and RBIs. Cool? Got player A, 33 years old. He's making $720,000, which is pre-arb, league minimum, all of that. He has a 716 OPS with eight homers and 44 RBIs across about 105 games. Player B, going to be 31 years old on opening day. He'll make $7 million, and he's got a 7-10 OPS from a year ago, 18 homers, and 63 RBIs. The third guy is 24 years old. He would be making $720,000, which is the pre-arb league minimum. He had a 984 OPS, 36 homers, and 119 RBIs in minor league baseball. So, Aram, I ask you, if you had to choose one of those guys... To be your opening day first baseman, who are you choosing? Eric Hosmer. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I like how you set the stage there, right? We've got Eric Hosmer, we've got Trey Mancini, and we've got Matt Mervis. Um, I'll say this, blind test, obviously. I would want to roll the dice with the minor league guy who was arguably the best hitter in the minor leagues. And you don't know what you're getting, which is a good thing, right? Instead of the older guys who one is more expensive, one is not, but both, you kind of know what you're getting. And, you know, when you're a team that probably needs a little bit more than a 710 OPS, I'd rather roll the dice, right? I'd rather take the mystery box. And I'd, I'd argue that really good numbers in AAA aren't quite a mystery box. It's It's a mystery box with good odds. Yes, I think so, especially from a 24-year-old. If he was a high school kid that was doing this at the lower levels in the minor leagues, then I understand, right? Like, oh, he had a 1,000 OPS in low A. That's Jackson Chorio. You're not plugging Jackson Chorio into an opening day lineup, right? But you are plugging a guy that went from like an 880 OPS to a 900 OPS from high A to double, and then like a 1,000 OPS in triple, right? I think his OPS, or at least his WRC Plus, got better each stop he climbed, right? High yeah, A to double to triple. The strikeout rate went down. The strikeout I mean, rate went down at each level. So here's what you're telling me. He is going to every new spot, and he is passing the test with more flying colors than the previous test that he passed with flying colors to the point where you felt like he needed a harder test. I mean, this, this is, is Matt so- Mervis, for those wondering. Correct. It's so mind-numbing. So, yeah. so mind-numbing. Aram, before we get back to it, how are you? 
How are you dealing with the end of this Skylar Thompson era in Miami? Uh, you know, honestly, we talk about how like it, it's been a while since you and I have like felt that like passionate kid feeling about about a team or whatever. And especially as you you cover the game, you start to root for individuals more. And it's not a bad thing. It's just you know something that just kind of comes naturally. I will say like that game brought a lot of of the kid in me out again. Like, you know, I, I watched the first half pretty much saying there's no shot, there's no shot. And then when you got that uh that Bradley Chubb fumble, that strip sack. Yeah. Like I jumped out of my couch and I can't tell you the last time I've like done that about like, like a team that right. I root for, you know, like it, it, it really got me excited. Cause it was just a really, really cool game. I was expecting to lose by 40. I would have, I would have bet on them losing by more than 14. Yes. Um, so for the, for the Dolphins to make that a ball game, remember I, I've not seen a playoff win in my lifetime, really. I think they right. won in 2000. I was three years old. So, you know, for me, I've seen three Dolphins playoff games, two were by backup QBs. All have been, you know, convincing losses. So to get this game is the silver lining. They got a lot to figure out, but I had fun. You know, I had fun and I've not had fun uh, watching a playoff game really in my life for, for my football team. You know, I I really don't know much about the NFL and you know that and like everybody that I, I do this podcast with Peter knows it like I don't. When when the NFL draft happens, that's like my last chance to ingest what these guys do, because it's almost like I'm waving to them as they board a cruise and they go away. I'm like, bon voyage. I'm not going to watch you on Sundays. Uh, but I know Tua, a great at Bama. I know that he was playing really well. You feel like they win the game with Tua playing quarterback? I, I think so. But, you know, the Bills played horribly. You know, they're a better football team. But I will say if they had Tua in that game, yeah, probably. So individuals, like you're speaking, you root for individuals. I've been rooting for Lamar Jackson since he was at Louisville. I feel like Lamar with Tyreek Hill and Waddle would make a lot of sense. Like, do you want Lamar or do you want Tua? And then we'll get right back to the Mervis Hasbro Man City combo. I want I want Lamar back home. Good. In the nine five four. Cool. 305, same same thing pretty much. I would love Pompano to have him back down here. Would okay. love to have him back down here. But uh yeah, you know, it's one of those things too where I, I like what we're talking about like with Mervis and like rolling the dice and just seeing what you can have. With Tua, I feel I kind of know what it's gonna be at this point. I don't know what Lamar Jackson looks like in this offense, and and there's a chance it's glorious. So I'd love to see that. So you know that's and where the Dolphins are at, even with them. Like I I'd rather roll the dice. So yeah, we'll see what happens, but Lamar is one of my favorite individuals to root for as a South Florida guy, too. I've watched so many Mike McDaniel interviews over the last couple of years, especially this year, because that dude's cool as hell. And he's obviously an offensive mastermind. I just think if you gave Mike McDaniel an offense with Lamar Jackson, Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, he could make fireworks. I It would be yeah. and that would be the thing that gets me right back into watching one team every single Sunday because the Bears have obviously not been that for me. OK, now the Cubs. <laughs> Um, I want to stress this before we get any deeper on anything. The newsworthy thing is that they just held Cubs convention. No, the newsworthy the newsworthy thing is that, you know, they signed Trey Mancini, right? Like that's the fresh news coming into this week. That's not the problem we have. We were actually talking about the platoon of Mancini and Mervis yeah. being the mm -hmm. best case scenario. We're not bitching about the Mancini signing. We're bitching about the, the Mancini Hosmer platoon when it should be the Mancini Mervis platoon. So I guess it's just a chance to revisit how pissed we are with the Hosmer signing. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I, I like the Mancini signing for a lot of reasons. I think, you know, I think Mancini is going to benefit from from playing in, in Chicago. Uh, I know the wind doesn't always blow out, but I think it's a place where that where the ball is going to fly for him. If you look at baseball savant, he would have had 21 homers there last year, uh, which is a few more. I think he had tw- he had 18, yeah, 18. I, yeah. I, I think it would have been more than that. Right. Because Savant's not accounting for for the way the ball carries out of there. Sometimes you'll get some of the other stadiums, though. Arizona, he would have had 33 last year. Uh, Colorado, 33. Like Mancini's one of those guys that has power, but I think is very, the way Nick Cassianos is, is very impacted by his environment. Like the power output can really change based on where you stick him, what stadium you stick him in. He hits the ball really hard. And, you know, I, I like him as a bounce back candidate. I know he's, you know, obviously gone through a lot and having overcome cancer and, and his story is incredible. And, that aside, he's had one one season where he's really been that that thirty home run guy. Where you're like, wow, he is he is something else. I think he's all the way back from you know all of the other issues and concerns. Thank goodness he's he's yeah. healthy. But now it's like looking at him as the baseball player. I think he could be a bounce back candidate. I really do, and I, I think we kind of underestimate how long it takes to get back from something like that. Kind of getting his feet back under him. This was the full season here, and um. He was traded. the 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 stretch he had with Houston was terrible. Really put put a dampen, like dampened down his numbers a little bit. Like put a big damper on that. And you know, I think that was a, a when you look back at the whole year, makes it seem a lot worse. Uh, you know, if he finished with a seven fifty, seven sixty OPS, I think we might be looking at it a little bit differently even then. So I love him as a fit. I just I just don't get Hosmer. Right. Mancini got worse in every aspect when he jumped from Baltimore to Houston. And I'm not saying that Houston's a bad clubhouse. It's apparently a great clubhouse now that, you know, 2017, that's in the rear view. Like you've got pretty much an entirely new roster with the exception of Altuve and Bregman and maybe one or two more. Am I missing anybody from that 2017 team? I don't think so. Right. Brantley was Brantley. Brantley Brantley could have been there. I don't know. Just off the dome. It's Altuve and Bregman. But You know, you go to a clubhouse that is higher stress than Baltimore and Trey Mancini. Obviously, he can deal with that. He's a veteran guy. He's a leader. But he went from the place that he came up with and his team, right? Trey Mancini, regardless of production in any given year, was probably the face of the franchise with the Baltimore (laughs) Orioles. And then he goes to Houston and it's like, you're going to play the corners and you're going to be a platoon and you're going to be a part-time player for us. And that's just not really how Mancini jives. You know what I mean? And yes, he had a 750 OPS with Baltimore that dropped 130 points with Houston. So if he ends the year at a 750 OPS, like you're saying, I mean, this is instead of a $7 million guy, like this might be a $15 million guy this year. He might've signed two years, 30 instead of two years, 14, but that's who we're talking about right now. I think there's something to be said about him going to another low-stress environment, right? Wrigley. You get to play day games at Wrigley Field, who everybody says is the best time in baseball. And you get to be a part of the Chicago Cubs. You get to live in a great neighborhood. You get to play at one of the all-time pillars of ballparks, of sporting venues. And you just get to have fun because there are no World Series aspirations here. That might be freeing. Yep. I agree. I really do. And and I think, you know, this is a spot where 
he goes from from Baltimore where it parts in Edie. That was the guy that was, like you said, face of the franchise. Kind of expected to to carry that lineup too after 2019. And again, I know he's coming. He was coming back from something that you rarely see players go through on, on the field. But in 2019, 35 pumps. You know, he drove in 97. He had a 132 WRC plus. Like this, this guy was one of the better hitters in the American League that season. And then misses 2020. Comes back in 2021. All things considered, it was a remarkable season, right? He puts it together a 105 WRC plus. It's 21 home runs i think we were kind of expecting last year to be the, the the time where he builds off of that right okay he has the one season to come back let's see him get back to full form in that second season back and he didn't quite do that last year but kind of going back to our point if he doesn't have that fall off with the astros he probably finishes with you know a 112 wrc plus 113 we say yeah. oh he was you know another notch better from the year before and maybe he'll build off of that in a more hitter friendly environment because that's even after they move back the walls in Baltimore, which I think would affect him being that he's a pull hitter. So, you know, I, I think this is still somebody that has something close to that 2019 season in the tank. And I think he could be closer to that 111 WRC plus that he's been for his career, which is a really good mark. It's, it's an above average big league hitter, right? So I love that addition. I think it makes the Cubs a little bit more balanced lineup wise. It would have been perfect in a you know, just with him complimenting Mervis, taking some of the pressure off of Mervis. And I've seen some say, Oh, will, will this have any this might not have any impact on Mervis because it will. Know, Mancini can play the outfield or whatever. I don't think the plan is for Mancini to see the outfield much at all, unless no. it's a pinch, because you've got happen left, you already got Bellinger in center, and you've got Suzuki. Suzuki in right. Right. Who, you know, you want all of those guys playing the outfield pretty consistently. And so Morel can I don't really anywhere. see how it, how it happens. Right. Like they've got an they've got enough utility guys to spell those three. Like Morel needs at bats. They're gonna get Morel at bats. You know, same thing for a couple other guys on that roster. So Mancini might spend like an afternoon in left, but he's not first base slash DH slash left slash right. He is first base DH for the most part. Now, yeah. Maybe the most impressive thing about Mancini is he played 154 games in 2019. Dude had cancer in 2020, and he played 147 games a year after that. Like dumb impressive. Oh my god! Yeah, he, he, he could have hit. He could have hit a buck twenty, and then he's comeback player of the year. And he was a well, he had a seven sixty OPS. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, and he played 143 games this past year. So my question is. How many games does he play for the Cubs this year? Is it 120? Is it 150? See, I think he plays a lot. You know why? Because I really think that we're going to see a similar Eric Hosmer situation that we saw with the Red Sox. Like, Red Sox gave him a shot, and I think they realized this guy's not going to be worth the roster There's spot. no point so to give this guy a run. shot. The, That's my the problem. The Red Sox had him for free, right? And, and it was worth it for them, right? Like, can we bridge the gap to Tristan Casas, right? And will, you know, if, if Casas isn't totally ready or maybe we don't want to rush him just yet, we have somebody here that can hold it down at a league average level, right? That's what they were hoping for with Hosmer. And he basically did that, I guess. But the reality is, and like they cut him for a reason. They literally had him for free. They didn't have to, the, the, the Padres were paying his They out. cut him because he sucked. He, they cut him because he sucked, right? And now he goes over to the Cubs here and he's, now blocking somebody else, right? Why else did they cut him? Because they have a prospect who is better, 
right? They have a youngster who is better. And I know Tristan Costas has the first round pedigree and all that stuff. But guess what? Matt Mervis' season last year was better than anything Tristan Costas has put together. And I'm as high on Tristan Costas as anybody. That's not to say that Costas is not going to be as good as Mervis. I think Costas is going to have a better big league career when it's all said and done because he's a freak and he's younger. But my point is, you could expect similar uh, outputs from both of them next year as as rookies. I think it's pretty fair. And Casas looked good at the beginning of last year, but again, or at the end of last year, excuse me, but they had to give him a chance and they finally did by basically slashing Hosmer's playing time. Quick aside, what did you think of his shirtless BP? I thought he looked good. He, he, looked, looked, really well, good. he looked good and the swing looked great too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I wasn't really looking at the swing much, but once, yeah, I, once I, I watched that the third time through, no, I saw that was weird though. <laughs> I don't know why we were circulating shirtless BP. I've never really understood shirtless BP. I've never understood it either. Um, but I guess yeah, all it, over Twitter though, fans were amped, which I never get that. They fans see some BP and they get all amped up about it. You don't think? Like, did you not expect him to be scorching balls in the batting cage? Right. What do you think he's doing in there? Like right. just not hitting them hard. Like, of course he's smacking baseballs in the batting cage. I always like, and I don't want to be the one that rains on parades. I always, like, I just always find it funny when we see a viral, you know, round in the cage and it's like, whoa, or, or even like the Joe Adele video, middle, middle fastballs and he's cranking them 112 or whatever. Yeah, but that looks was. sick. And I want Joe Adele to be really good. So I'm like, ah, oh, I'm but buying like, that. At the end of the day, like, I, we know he can do that. Yeah. We know that he has that ability, right? You know, Mitch Keller throwing bullpens. Last year was the worst. Uh, what I will say is bullpens are a little different. A little different because you can see the velo. You can see yeah. the velo. But even then, Mitch Keller was touching 99 <laughs> and everyone's losing their freaking minds. Right. But I agree. Bullpens are different. And you can at least have the pitch data there a little bit. But yeah. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go on like one of those um, one of those like Christian Bale type workouts, like American Psycho, right? Get, get insanely ripped in 60 days. Um, I'm going to have the confidence to take my shirt off and hop in a cage. And I'm going to try and put together a five swing stretch where I look fucking sick, like Tristan Casas. And I'm going to put it on Twitter and we're going to see if it does dumb numbers and I get an affiliated contract. Fair? You just got to say looking for opportunity and tag the flat ground app. Yes, um, the flat ground app, which is Rob Friedman's thing, right? Yep. Yep. So we didn't mention the details of the contract for Mancini too. Two years, okay. 14 mil. Seven and then a player option for seven. He can opt out after 2023 for 350. 350 yeah. played appearances to opt out. I like it. I like it for him. I like it for the Cubs. I like it for both parties. Um, and, and I'll be honest here. I think to wrap a bow on this before we go to the next point, I expect the Cubs to magically realize that Eric Hosmer is not good Right around the time that you normally see prospects called up who, for whatever reason, had to work on something super minute and then all of a sudden figured it out a few weeks into the season. Basically, all I'm saying here is I wouldn't be surprised if Hosmer gets the opportunity for the first month, kind of sucks like we all thought he would, and we see Mervis a month after with one more year of service time for the Cubs, which will just be a, a mere coincidence. That's the next point. Chris Bryant in 2015. And do not, do not, do not think that I'm comparing Matt Mervis to Chris Bryant because Chris Bryant was the second overall pick. Chris Bryant was the best prospect in baseball. Chris Bryant looked like a future MVP. He looked like a future rookie of the year. He was both of those things. Chris Bryant's a $200 million guy. 
I'm not saying that Mervis will ever turn into that. But Chris Bryant made his major league debut on April 17th, which bought the (laughs) Cubs an extra year of Chris Bryant's service to the Chicago Cubs organization. That is as cut and dry an example of service time manipulation as you have seen in baseball. And a lot of people were crying. Yeah. No, I was just saying, I got a pretty good one from last year, too, that I think is even... Is it O'Neal? No. Is it O'Neal? Okay, good. How about how about MJ Melendez? Yeah, that's a great one. So I, I'm going to debunk O'Neal Cruz, and then I want you to get into M- MJ Melendez, because people were crying service time with O'Neal Cruz. Mm-hmm. After watching O'Neal Cruz for two months, like he had shit to work on. He needed to work on stuff, and he was big league ready when he got called up. He was not big league ready at the beginning of the year. So that was not service time manipulation MJ Melendez was service time manipulation. Absolutely. And I know MJ was expecting to be on the roster and understandably so. And I think his situation compares most closely to Mervis's because, yeah, I know MJ was a second round pick, but at the same time, he was so bad in 2019, right? He had a 571 OPS with a 36% K rate, makes a swing adjustment during COVID, comes back in 2021. This is with the Royals, of course. And was the home run king in, in 2021, right? He slashes 288, 386, 625 with 41 home runs, 103 driven in, and 66 extra base hits. So pretty much similar to what Mervis did, and that was between double A AA and triple A, yeah. right? So he's expecting to make the roster because he's a catcher who was also playing other positions. And, and Salvi, you know, like he wasn't playing every single day at that point anyway. Like there was some concerns and they kind of wanted to, to wean him off of the everyday reps, right? So- makes obvious, obvious, obvious sense to, to start MJ Melendez with the team in the big leagues. This is where it makes it even more obvious. He starts in AAA, Jack, right? And he plays 21 games in AAA for whatever reason, you know, they deem him not ready. You know what MJ Melendez did in those 21 cold games in AAA? I saw him hit two bombs. He stunk, though. He hit two bombs. He hit 167. 286, 295 in those 21 games. It's usually freezing in that league, right? My point being, though, what did they see in those 21 games that made them say, oh, he's more ready now than when he was coming off of that season where he just had a 1,000 OPS, right, and had a strong spring training. Those 21 games right after that date pass that you needed, what is it, April 16th? Oh, now he's ready, right? 167 batting average in those 21 games, they saw that and said – all right, we feel better about calling him up now. Like, it's so obvious at this point with some of these situations. And I, and I think that was another really obvious one with the Royals, right? Like, if anything, those struggles should have made you keep him down there longer. The Pirates, at least, that's how you knew it was real because they kept him down there as he was struggling for a pretty long time compared to the 21 games of Melendez. So, you know, that was another obvious situation. And I'm expecting something very similar. I think Mervis is going to hit. But I'm just saying I'm expecting Mervis to play around 20 25 games, it won't really matter what he does, and then all of a sudden we'll see him up there because Hosmer will be hurting them compared to what they could be getting. Yeah, we'll move off of Mervis in a moment. We'll get to Frankie Montas dealing with a shoulder thing, likely to miss the first month of the season. But last thing on Mervis, I I just want to plant a comp because you know a lot of people listening to this pod don't watch Matt Mervis. They have not seen Matt Mervis hit a baseball yet. Matt Mervis, if everything goes right, is the poor man's Pete Alonzo right now. At least that's what he did in minor league baseball, right? 36 nukes, led minor league baseball in RBIs, and a K rate under 20%. 
That's what Pete Alonso does at the major league level. I'm not saying that Mervis is going to keep that K rate under 20%. I'm not saying that he's going to have 119 RBIs at the major league level. But you can compare what Matt Mervis just did better than everybody else in minor league baseball at driving in runs, and he's not swinging and missing to what Pete Alonso does. And what Pete Alonso does is perennial all-star $200 million first baseman that's fine defensively. Yeah, so the poor version of that sounds good to me. <laughs> it sounds great. It sounds like an everyday big leaguer. Sounds like an everyday big leaguer that's going to give you a 125 WRC plus in, at first base. This Frankie Montas trade is aging terribly. And I I can't fault Brian Cashman for doing it because Frankie Montas, you know, I think we were making the argument, I know I was, that he was the best starter on the market. He was yeah. a better starting option than Luis Castillo. I thought, hey, you know, like if Castillo goes to Seattle for that ransom, like what are the, the you know, buyers, what are the Yankees going to have to move for Frankie Montas? Because I think he's better. And then all of a sudden he gets to the Bronx and the Velo's down and it comes out that he's dealing with shoulder issues and he was shut down for a little bit. And now looks like he's going to miss the first month with a shoulder problem. I, I, I'd, I'd bet it's longer too, man. It's a shoulder I, I, thing. Yeah. A month for a shoulder doesn't sound right to me. You know, I, I think I think there's a few reasons why they're saying that. I think one – and I hope I'm wrong. Like, Yeah. I, I want Montes – he is he is a great pitcher who – like there's nothing more agonizing – as you know, I can imagine it's got to be even worse for his, for him and his teammates. But yeah. when you cover the game and it's just you're always just excited to see great players do great things. There's nothing more agonizing than watching somebody that, you know, isn't reaching their potential or pitching to the best of their playing to the best of their abilities because their body isn't letting them right uh, watching that that start from Steven Strasburg when I covered his oh, return. That's probably know, so it, sad. It, yeah. it was it, it was really heavy like it was really because you're seeing 86 88 and i'm just remembering how great this guy was and again monsters might be fine he might rehab and be perfectly fine but i'm just mentioning this because we almost forget sometimes how good these guys can be and monsters we were talking about him as, as a potential top guy in the trade market like you said because his peaks are are freaking great right in 2021 before he started to deal with those injuries 337 even then over the course of the season struck out near nearly 10 per nine he was spectacular in 2019 in, in a limited sample size like this guy has crazy stuff and you, you can't blame the yankees on this one because they, they they really didn't even give up that much we're talking about it right we're like hey this is like kind of a light return right luis medina's going over there like he's not that great i like wall to chuck a lot but that was really the only guy that they were going to feel it and um, Sears was big league ready, but like he wasn't gonna cares. That's going a guy to... you're not losing sleep over, right? Exactly. Does more good for Oakland than you if you're the Yankees. He's more of that swingman depth arm. So like it, it was it's it was one of those trades where like, wow, maybe the shoulder concerns are worse than than we think. And that's exactly what ends up happening here. Um, I'm worried that it's gonna be more than a month. How how often do you see a guy shut down for a shoulder issue for a month and then they come back? Usually it's it's a few months at least, and they're kind of easing their way back into it because that's not something you really mess with unless it's just basic shoulder fatigue. I think there's a chance, Jack, that they don't want it to be too obvious how worried they are about Montes because if they're surveying the trade market, I don't think they want people knowing that Montes might not be available for an extended period of time. They might be unsure right now, but I, I think they're going to always undersell how concerned they are, especially if they they are going to maybe look and get another arm into the fold here. I think so, because if sellers know that the Yankees need it, they will up the price, 
right? Like it, they are going to get gypped when they become desperate. And I think that they want to put out the front that they're not desperate right now. And I hope that they're not. I hope that Frankie Montes, as somebody that grew up like hating the Yankees success, <laughs> I hope they're not screwed by Frankie Montas because I hope Frankie Montas is on the hill. Here's my question for you. Let's let's doomsday scenario here. Frankie Montas is is unavailable for two months, you know, let's say. How do you feel about Domingo Herman as the the number five for them? Like it's he's, that's probably fine. They probably don't need to do anything. If the other four are Cole, Rodon, Cortez, and Severino, I feel fine with Herman as the five. And you know the thing too that's really interesting to me. I, I would like to see them try Clark Schmidt. I don't know why they don't really consider Clark Schmidt in the. I thought he showed some really good things. I know they put some big responsibility on him in the postseason at points, but Schmidt's a guy that I think you could plug in and he could give you five good innings. I, I really think he could be a fine starter for you. Uh, but I, I really expect Herman to be fine. I don't know how that guy still has a job, you know. But uh, in terms of in terms of off the field issues, but. On the field, the guy's pretty much – you can pencil him in for a low 4 ZRA for the most part. He was even better than that in 72 innings last year. But I I think you can pretty much pencil him in for a 4-2, 4-3. He's not going to walk, guys. And, uh, you know, with with the offense that the Yankees could potentially have, that should be more than enough out of year five while you wait for Montes to come back. But, you know, it it is worth kind of questioning, though, what are they going to get out of Montes? And I I wonder how concerned they are. But at the end of the day, when you got those other four, like you said, you're in pretty good shape. The only thing is – how concerned are you about the rest of this rotation, right? Garrett Cole seems like he's pretty much Iron Man. He doesn't seem to to really have many arm issues, knock on wood. But yeah. we know the deal with Rodon. We know the deal, you know, w- with some of these other guys. And, and also, we've never really seen Nestor stretched out consistently. I know that's a little bit of a concern as well. Um, you know, how concerned are you about the rest of the rotation with Monsters now starting on the I.L.? It, the good news is you have as deep a bullpen as you can find in Major League Baseball. And I, I think that that will really help the Yankees. And I know this name is like a curse word for Yankee fans, but Davey Garcia is around. He's like available to eat innings. And I still think that Davey Garcia has ability to eat innings. And when we bring up starting pitching depth for the Yankees and maybe concerns over who's going to get the ball, it's just another chance to preach the Johnny Brito gospel. Johnny Brito this past year in double and triple A had a ground ball rate over 50%, a sub three ERA. He ate innings. Like that's a guy I think that can be comparable to Domingo Herman. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think it's possible. Very possible. And I, the, the last guy I didn't even mention Severino is you know king of, 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 injury concern there too correct so yeah they need they kind of need another arm right like i really do think that they could use another i'm not saying a great what one. kind of arm yeah exactly like that's my thing what kind of arm would you like hayden was nesky <laughs> you know like that, yes, that's shit. the thing uh-huh. i know again hindsight's 2020 scott efros goes down with tommy john surgery but I, this bullpen let's say they had efros in the fold there they could go in a bullpen game and, and i'd almost like that more than whoever they're starting at the five if they rolled out lou trevino as the opener piggyback tommy canely then went to albert abreu and then had you know wandy wandy peralta or potentially Eliza and then holmes close it out like that could be a shutout. Like that's nasty. So you know, I, I am interested to see how they maneuver this. Um, it is unfortunate, Luis Heel, Tommy John surgery, 
Michael King has a fractured elbow. I don't know what what kind of timeline he's looking at. Um, yeah. So you know they've been pretty pretty banged up. And I didn't even mention Marinaccio, who could who could also be part of that bullpen game. He's gross. He has his own injury issues as well. But right. I guess to wrap, what's your you know what's your concern level with this rotation? Because I think it's very feasible that one of Rodon, Severino, and Cortez could go down in the first couple months of the season. Again, I really hope it doesn't, but it's usually how this thing goes in Major League Baseball these days. Yeah, I my concern level for now is actually pretty low um, because Cole we know is a horse. Like Cole is two hundred innings every year. That's what he's going to be. Rodon. I'm done doubting him because I doubted him. I said, you just wait and see. You just wait and see. And then I never waited and saw with San Francisco. Like he had the year that I dreamed of him having in a White Sox uniform and it just didn't happen. So I'm I'm not going to doubt him anymore. Nestor, they've taken really good care of him. I think Nestor takes really good care of Nestor. And I think that he'll manage to stay on the field. And then Severino... How many times can you run into terrible luck? I have no idea. I would think he's ran out of shit luck. So <laughs> we'll so. see. And then it's, you know, Herman, and I think they have enough enough depth. Um, mm-hmm. A minor move for a guy that is kind of phased out of future plans makes a lot of sense. My eyes gravitate towards Arizona and a guy like Ryan Nelson. Doesn't that kind of make sense? Like, hey, having that guy that can bounce between triple and the majors that kind of cut worse (laughs) yeah a little bit worse like that's fine i just need somebody that's around if you feel like burrito isn't ready davy garcia isn't good enough and herman is down um last thing on montas the last guy that like made a full recovery was this past year from a shoulder thing and that was shane bieber you know bieber misses the back half of 2021 comes back throws 200 innings his velocity is down was that worrisome yes but he was good enough to overcome that i think frankie montas is good enough to overcome a lack of velocity bieber was 93 to 94 he was 90 to 91 this year if montas goes from 96 to 98 to 92 93 that's still okay because he's got enough stuff to survive but bieber was shut down for almost a year yeah no bieber was was in in the very very small percentage of of success stories when you miss that much time with a shoulder issue yeah so i i guess it's just a will see thing with frankie montas and hope for the best yep absolutely absolutely and i mean if that guy is Frankie Montas, if he's the guy that they acquired, you know, him to be. Yeah. That rotation could be the best in baseball. Yeah. 100%. Last thing uh, ABS, automatic ball strike. That's coming to every AAA ballpark. That was Passin and Ken Rosenthal that were like co reporting that, I think. Might have just been a release from Major League Baseball that they yeah. picked up, but I know it was an ESPN story. Um, ABS was tested in the Arizona Fall League. Did you see ABS in the Arizona yeah, Fall League? Yeah, I did. It's pretty electric. Honestly. I'm really excited for it. So the the best way to describe it is um, almost a challenge system. So half of minor league ballparks, I think, are going full ABS. Like the umpire will be wearing an earpiece and they'll, you know, be told ball or strike right away. Um, the other half will be doing a challenge system, which is what I you like saw. the challenge system way better. I like the challenge system too. And we'll get to that. We'll get to like our opinion on it, but here's like the layout of the challenge system. Um, if you've ever watched a grand slam tennis tournament on TV, you will see a player when the call is in or out and they think otherwise 
they'll approach the uh, the umpire, I want to say, like the chair umpire on the side, yeah. and challenge. They say, I want to challenge the call. So in baseball, like it was touching the top of your helmet or touching the top of your hat if you're a pitcher or catcher, um, you know, challenging it. And they will go up to the big screen, and you will see, just like the Grand Slam in tennis, a computerized version of the strike zone, and you will see the flight of the ball using Hawkeye, which is like the camera um, system that every ballpark uses. You will see where it crossed, and that is the challenge. It happens really quick. Tell me about your experience with it. No, I I like it because the way you describe it, right? Imagine that, but with a little bit of suspense brought into like they they show the ball like flying in slow motion show like in, in the tennis context where it hits on the line and everyone's like oh oh my goodness it's in or out right? right and with baseball they show it going through the strike zone and like whether it nabs one part of the box or whatever and like that's so fun <laughs> even in the small crowd at the arizona fall league people were super amped up about it the dugouts were having fun with it like it, it creates a fun element interactive element to the game and and i feel like with with major league baseball they don't totally want to make that leap right that they don't they want to keep the umpire involved and i feel like the challenge system might be the best way to to dip our toes into it right because with the challenge system too it gets rid of the egregious misses and and most of these umpires they like to shit on them that even the bad umpire scorecards are 92 you know the real bad ones will be 89 88 but let's say that this challenge system can get you a four or five percent bump. That means the good ones will be near perfect. That means the okay ones will be good and the bad ones will be passable, right? So like, yeah. I don't know if we have to go full-fledged into the ABS all the time. I think even just the challenge system to move the margins, of, the margin of mistake to maybe five percent better, right? I think that makes it a little bit more tolerable and, and that might just be enough. It's really those 88% scorecards that get me. Yes, 100. Anything sub 90 pisses me off. Yeah, yeah, no B plus is an umpiring. So I'm really glad that Indianapolis is going to get the challenge system. Um, I think it's, you know, half of AAA ball is going to get full ABS and full ABS takes framing out of the equation. Like that's the thing that everybody is scared of. That's true robot umpire ABS. Mm -hmm. Uh, The challenge system I'm with you, I think is the best one. And I think that they are going to ditch full ABS and just go with the challenge system in 24. I bet when Major League Baseball adopts this, they're going with the challenge system. And it's three per team. You get it right, you keep it. You get it wrong, you lose it. Um, If any, it's like challenges in the NFL, right? It costs you a timeout. This is where it's tough, though. Because how do you decide? How pissed are you going to be if if one of your teammates uses two of the challenges and one at bat and whiffs on both? Yeah, that's a team guy. Decide when to use them. Like if I'm a manager, I'm mandating you're only using challenges and swing counts. The count, and by swing count, I mean the count that changes the probability the most, right? Yes. If it's a you know one one pitch, two one versus one two is the biggest swing you're going to see potentially in terms of probability of a hit. That's where I want you challenging. I don't want you challenging a one zero pitch. Right. So that's that's where I think it's really fascinating because it brings a new element of strategy to it as well. Um, And also, like, I don't want my nine hitter challenging strikes if we only have one challenge left and I've got one of the best hitters in baseball on deck. Let's say Mike Trout's hitting leadoff, like just for hypothetical speaking, like I'd rather have that save for Trout. So there's so much strategy that goes into it. And I like that part of it, too, because you have a lot of people complaining about how the modern game is taking strategy out. Well, hey, guess what? This modern part of the game, this new edition will actually add some strategy. Kind of fun. Yes, 100%. Um, I So I like your thought on swing counts. My thought is 
deciding pitches. So like the example that went viral was Jason Dominguez and it was a called strike on a three, one count. And he thought it was outside. So he challenges, he wins the challenge. It was a ball and he walks. So like Mm -hmm. a three ball count, if you get a called strike against you that you thought was ball four, I'm okay challenging. If you're in a two strike count and it's a called strike three that you think was, you know, outside or inside, I'm in on challenging. So anything that will cost you in at bat, like cost you a strikeout or gain you a walk, I'm in on challenging. Could you imagine the three two challenges that we're gonna see? That'd be here? awesome. Like electric. And those are those are the like that's why I like the challenge system, because again, like sure, there's gonna be some balls and strikes that that fall through that kind of you know, that we're like, oh man, that's a missed call. I still think that's kind of part of the game. And a lot of players will tell you that's part of the game because it goes both ways. But when you can challenge the game deciding moments, right? Like those are the things that those are the things that really stay in the game, right? When a guy misses a call that you're, you're like, wow, that totally just screwed the entire flow of the game up, right? A walk versus a strikeout in, in the ninth inning, something like that. Like you'll be able to challenge that. That makes a big difference in terms of not only limiting the mistakes by just a total value, also limiting the important st- mistakes and the win probability changing mistakes. So, you know, I think it takes care of enough without fully changing the game, but I'm excited to get your anecdotal, you know, evidence and thoughts on that because you'll be seeing both of it, obviously next year calling these games across the league. On record, I would like for you to commit to a week in Indy and seeing the challenge system coupled with the pitch clock. And that's the future of baseball. It is. And and you know what? I didn't think I'd ever like it. I like it. And I, I'm kind of here for it. I also just remembered one more deal we should probably talk about. Okay. Um, oh, last thing on that. The challenge system also like not going full ABS. I talked to Jason DeLay, who got his first taste of the bigs with the Pirates last hey. year. They had the full ABS in Charlotte. And his whole thing, like the reason he got to AAA, he was you know, catcher at Vandy for Bueller, Fulmer, Beattie, all that shit. Um, DeLay... He said, the, the reason I'm still here, the reason I'm still playing is because I am an excellent framer. Like I've worked my ass off on receiving and he felt useless. He used the term useless with full ABS. With the challenge system, these receiving catchers are not useless. So no. instead of Austin Hedges being a waste of space, Austin Hedges can still buy you strikes because they only have three challenges. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're a good framer, it makes it even harder on them. Like, shoot do we challenge this or not right. but is it is it hedges or you know i know most hitters are watching where it crosses the plate but it does add to that to that element and i i agree and i don't want to lose that part of the game because i don't either part and it's fun and it's 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 something that makes the game what it is and makes the catching position so awesome i know what deal you're gonna bring up what you say it chris paddock no, I was going to say McCutcheon to the Pirates. Great. Like, oh, yeah. I have. Hell, we got to talk about McCutcheon to the Pirates, too. Yeah. Okay. Those are the last two things we got to talk about. Okay. Let's get Paddock over with and then end with the with the feel good story. Perfect. Yeah. That's like the kicker. That's the end of the local news broadcast. Yeah, you always end on a happy note. PTSD mentioning the kicker for any of you <laughs> journalism school students out there that had to do news stuff. Okay. So, Chris Paddock's deal. I like it. I like it. It's a three-year deal that guarantees Paddock $12.5 million. And Chris Paddock is with the Twins. He's yeah. recovering from Tommy John surgery, targeting an August return, which, by the way, if the Twins are in it, nice little boost there because Paddock was looking pretty good before the Tommy John surgery. And if he gains a, even a little bit, if he gains a, a tick on the fastball, he could be pretty, pretty solid. And he's still just 27. But what's interesting about this deal is he gets $2.5 million in 2023, 
2.5 million in 2024 and then seven and a half in 2025. It gets the twins an extra year of control for him because I believe he was under control for two more years. Now this gets them a third year of control and it gets him some financial security here as he recovers from Tommy John surgery. Two big takeaways from this for me. I like the twins solidifying some pitching for the next couple years. I also love how much this just shows how far we have come with medicine that this dude is in the middle of his elbow surgery, elbow reconstruction yeah. surgery, and they're extending him to a three-year deal because it is so likely that he is going to come back either just as good or stronger. That is so freaking cool like i i love that we are that good here with this with this tommy john surgery i hope shoulders get there one day probably won't because of how complex it is but thank goodness we're there with the elbows like it's not it's not even a problem they're, they're happy to guarantee him seven and a half million in three years you know in 2025 even though this guy legitimately had his elbow reconstructed seven months ago i'm with seven you I'm with you. I, I was just calling a women's hoops game over the weekend. It was Ball State in Miami, Ohio. And Miami, Ohio's best player, like an all-Mac player, she came back from an ACL tear in seven months. Like, yeah. advances in modern medicine. What are we doing? And I'm with you. Like, nobody really bats an eye right now. But then you take a step back, and it's like, holy shit, they just gave this guy $12.5 million, and his UCL was literally snipped in half. Like, Eight they, months ago, seven one, months ago. They took one from another part of his body, threw that shit in his elbow and said, you're good to go. It's incredible. Like, you're right. Yeah. It, the success rate it, to be good enough to get this guy $12.5 million while he's sitting on his ass, maybe throwing a ball 40 miles an hour, is miracle work. And shout out Frank Job, who did it first, I want to say, or maybe he yeah. was shoulder. I think Job was elbow. And then James Andrews and, like, everybody that kind of followed. Yeah, shout out Tommy John. Shout out Tommy John, Santa Claus, Indiana's finest, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, Paddock, Paddock's a high floor guy. Paddock is, yeah, like he could be a four ERA, but you know what? He's going to be under two walks per nine. That's his thing. He will always command his pitches. And it's just nice to have a guy like that. Like even when you're building out your rotation, the Twins have a lot of unknowns, right? Sonny Gray will be a free agent. Tommy Malio, or sorry, Tyler Mahali will be a free agent, you know, coming up relatively soon. Like that, those are two guys that are going to hit the open market. They're probably not going to re-sign both. They might not re-sign either. And, and you got to fill out that rotation. So being able to, to guarantee that you have, you know, a, a number five just settled in there, that's that's great. I don't know if he's ever going to rediscover that that rookie season that he had with, with the Padres, but I think it's bad. It can be that force guy, you know, that's that's fine. It can help anchor the back of your rotation. I thought he was showing some pretty good things before he got hurt. I mean, his first five starts with Minnesota were, were pretty, pretty darn good. So clearly they saw something they liked. And I think this helps just kind of solidify their pitching situation because they have a lot of questions to answer over the next couple of years. Uh, with with Sonny Gray and, and Molly and some of these other guys, you know, hitting free agency and not that many guys coming up. I like Simeon Woods Richardson, but other than that, you know, they, they don't have that many arms that you could really point towards being part of the future there. I love Simeon Woods Richardson. You like Louis Varlin too, right? I like Varlin. It's another really solid depth arm. I think SWR could could be could be a really solid middle of the rotation guy, though. Huge fan. I think he's like top flight four, three, that kind of guy. Um, 90 to 92 with a fastball. Great changeup that works off the fastball. Everything moves four different directions. Yeah. I'm a huge, huge fan of Simeon Woods Richardson. What? He's funky. He's funky. That's the best way to describe it. Yeah. He is funky. Um, Also, I lied. 
Tommy John is from Terre Haute, Indiana. Uh, everybody's favorite quarterback, Jay Cutler, is from Santa Claus, Indiana. Oh, that's a place, Santa Claus? Santa Claus, Indiana. That's a real place. We also have Normal, Illinois. You know that, right? Ooh. No. We've got Paris, Kentucky. Paris, Texas. Yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of those shitty, you know, weird towns in the Midwest. Um, all right, last one. McCutcheon is back in a Pirates uniform. I have no take on uh, on-field performance. I have no statistical analysis of Andrew McCutcheon. This is just really freaking cool. Yeah, I love it. I, I love it. And you know what, dude? He he is still carrying his weight. Yeah. Is he gonna put them over the top? Probably not. I don't like I don't think he's gonna do it. What that does over the top look like for the Pittsburgh Pirates this year? <laughs> yeah, of course, exactly <laughs> what I'm saying. So I think over the top is a few extra butts and seats. And guess what? I will be tuned in to see, not in person. I'll be tuned in on TV. And if I lived in Pittsburgh and was a Pirates fan, I would absolutely be much more likely to go to the ballpark to see Andrew McCutcheon because it's nostalgic, because this team is heading in a good direction. But you need to buy some entertainment for the next year. I think, you know, in two years is where we'll really start to see that that Pirates roster come together with this with this rebuild that, that Charrington has been, you know, kind of spearheading. But Get me through the next year if I'm a Pirates fan. And this just made this year a lot more entertaining. And I will say that they're putting together a roster that is very watchable. But now adding McCutcheon to the fold here, he's not going to be a disaster, right? He's probably going to hit around league average, which is which is fine. And just seeing him there, I know it's going to bring joy to so many fans. I can't wait to tune in and see that ovation. Nothing, nothing gets me more than the ovations, man. Yeah. A good homecoming ovation really gets my gets the goosebumps going for me. Like I already have goosebumps thinking about Andrew McCutcheon coming back, the ovation he's going to get on a packed crowd for opening day. Yeah. It's going to be special. It'll be worth it alone. Especially in that jersey, right? Like, you know, yes, you'll get an ovation if you are a visitor to your old ballpark, but Albert Pujols back in a Cardinals jersey at Bush Stadium hit different and and McCutcheon is the poor man's version of that because Pujols is first ballot hall of famer all world one of the greatest power hitters of all time but McCutcheon in a pirate's uniform back at PNC is going to be so so cool um and our one of our college baseball guys Ryan Miller just bought tickets for opening day like that is the McCutcheon factor there uh lineup on opening day projected opening day lineup for the pirates Cruz at short Reynolds in center we'll see Brian Hayes at third, Choi at first, McCutcheon in left, Carlos Santana, the DH, Sawinski in right, Rodolfo Castro, I think G1 Bay should be the starting second baseman, but Castro is kind of fun too. Austin Hedges, the catcher, a bench of Bay, Connor Joe, my king, and Miguel Andujar. Like, this is a pretty good palatable... bench. That's a, that's a fun bench. <laughs> it's a fun bench, and this is a palatable product. Yes. This is not this is not a bad bad team, and I think it's a team that you know. Andy Rodriguez gets called up. Mike Burrows maybe gets an opportunity midseason. This is a team that could surprise Priest some people. Close. With, you know, yep. How de- how decent they are, but I also want to just highlight Andrew McCutcheon with the Pirates real quick, and then give you a couple milestones that he could hit. Perfect. So, first of all, finish top five in MVP voting in four straight seasons. Finished top three in MVP voting in three straight seasons and won the MVP in 2013. Right, this was a spectacular career with the Pirates, where he played 1,300 games with them, slash 291, 379, 487. So, I mean, this is a guy that's one of the best players in Pirates history. They've had some legends. He's 
He's on the, in the top 10 and probably better than that. If we really get all time position players, he's up there. And also just a guy with a great story, didn't grow up with much and became a fan favorite. And obviously has has really turned into one of the better players of our, you know, kind of lifetime that we've seen. And to exemplify that he will have his 2000th hit barring anything, you know, super, super bad. He's at 52 hits away from 2000 and he's 13 home runs away from 300. Those aren't the, you know, noted, noted, noted milestones. It's not 3,000 hits. It's not 500 home runs. But 2,000 hits is a pretty special mark to hit for a guy that's, not you know, not going to make the Hall of Fame. And 300 home runs is a pretty special mark to hit for a guy that's not going to make the Hall of Fame. So that'll be cool if you can hit both of those marks in Pittsburgh this year. Uh, so I, that's another thing I'm, I'm looking forward to as well. I'm excited. I'm just really excited. And like, obviously, being with the Pirates AAA team, I'll watch a lot of Pirates baseball, and I'm genuinely excited to watch Pirates baseball this year. Crazy thing to say, but I'm really excited to watch Pirates baseball. So I think it'll be fun, man. This was fun. Peter and I tomorrow. Um, Anything to note? Oh, call up. Really exciting. You guys received the 2019 MLB redraft well, so we're going to go with the 2020 MLB redraft. Yeah, that should be out Monday or Tuesday. Um, the redraft, I couldn't believe how well that did. It was awesome. Uh, so just yeah, redrafts are fun, no matter what league. I always like looking at the the NBA and NFL ones because obviously I don't follow as closely to be able to really redraft. It really adds some really interesting context for people that spend as much time dissecting these prospects and, and young players as as you and I do. So look out for that redraft on the call up. Also, just wanted to plug real quick, you and Taylor Davis. We're gonna keep mentioning it, you know, over the next week or so for those who who may might be listening to the just baseball show for the first time in a little bit. You and Taylor Davis, Show and Go podcast, officially on the network, officially available on all platforms. First interview was Alec Mills. You already had your conversation with Dylan Cease, which I know went really well and was a lot of fun. Also, some good episodes in between. Uh, I mean, you can expect unbelievable player interviews, really awesome insight from Taylor Davis, and you know your silky smooth voice just to compliment it all and, and Thanks, whatever sweetheart. decent thoughts you have here and there. Uh, Got to plug that. Definitely subscribe to that podcast. It's it's one of those that I am very – one of the things I've been most excited to add to just baseball, I think, in a long time because I think Taylor is going to do an awesome job. I think you're going to do an awesome job. And I think the guests that you guys are going to get is going to be pretty freaking remarkable. I've, I've already heard some of them. So Dylan C is looking forward to listening to that once it's out. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for the compliment, Aram. I am obligated to like say a thank you. It's one. Yeah, no, I get it. Um, yeah, I lack some brain power, so thank you for explaining that to me. But uh, Cease, I'm not going to spoil the interview. Let's just say um, one of my favorite questions in there was Taylor saying, you know, Dylan, we haven't talked in like a year or so, but I actually reached out to you and see if you wanted to hop on the pod because my wife was reading an article that you were the biggest earner in the bonus pool. And I was like, wow, that's a really unique question that Dylan Cease has probably yeah. never been asked before. So yeah, uh, yeah. congrats on the 2 million. <laughs> yeah. Congrats on the 2 million. Tell me about how you do with it. That two mi- yes, yeah. exactly. And like, I can't fucking ask Dylan Cease that, but you know what? Taylor Davis can. Oh yeah. And that's what makes this podcast so cool. I think that's a microcosm of it. He can ask the questions that we can't. So I think you'll really enjoy listening to the answers from these guys. Love it. Peter and I will talk to you tomorrow, guys.